This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest is a retired NASA astronaut and the Naval Academy's Distinguished Chair in Space Science. He received an aerospace engineering degree from the Naval Academy and Master of Science degrees in aerospace engineering from the Naval Postgraduate School and in systems management from the University of Southern California. He is also a graduate of the Naval Test Pilot School and has logged more than 5,000 hours flying time in more than 60 different types of aircraft. He was selected as an astronaut by NASA, and he logged more than 327 hours in space as a space shuttle pilot, including service as pilot on the first joint U.S.-Russian space shuttle mission. Welcome, Professor Ken Reichler. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan of your podcast, so it's, a, it's an honor to take part in one. Well, let's jump into this, Ken. And, and, you know, with all that impressive experience, we're talking here about something that many people might see as orthogonal to the science and engineering background that you have. And it started many years ago when you were what, what I believe was called a bellboy on a boat. I believe that was a Chesapeake Bay sailing log canoe. What is a Chesapeake Bay sailing log canoe? Well, Michael, these boats are unique to the Chesapeake Bay. Their uh, origin goes back a long ways, back uh, to single dugout canoes that the early English explorers reported seeing Native Americans using back in the, in the late 1500s on the Chesapeake. Uh, settlers down in Jamestown, they adopted these designs to their own use, eventually making them bigger, putting masts up and putting sails on. Uh, over time, uh, by the early 1800s, there were hundreds of these boats all over the Chesapeake used by watermen. They were kind of the, the standard vehicle uh, for crabbing, fishing, oystering, etc. There even actually started to be organized racing sometime about the Civil War, and designs began to change to make uh, better use of maneuverability, stability, speed, etc. And of course, when, when motors came along, they replaced sails on boats and log canoes fell out of favor. So they continued to be refined just as racing boats, uh, similar to how plow horses were bred to be thoroughbreds. Today, there are really only about a dozen racing log canoes still in competition, and you can only see them here on the eastern shore of Maryland. So break that down for me a little bit. You call it a canoe, but what does this really look like? Well, you know, as you would expect from the name, they're pointed both at the bow and the stern. Uh, they tend to be quite narrow at the beam, uh, but that's really where the, the comparison ends. Uh, their hulls are made out of logs, usually five logs, uh, shaped one for the bottom and then uh, four for the sides of the boat. Uh, they're fitted with uh, two masts, one forward being taller than the one aft, they carry some very unusual, uniquely shaped sails, as well as a very large foresail or, or jib. Sometimes we even carry a small sail on the top of the mast uh, that sits up there called a kite. And it's uh, very uniquely designed to have some artwork associated with the, the name of the boat. By class rules, all of the spars, the, the, in other words, the mast, the spreets, the clubs, etc., as well as the hull, are made out of wood. So no modern electronics or mechanical advantages like win winches are, are permitted. 
So this is really, I would say, classical or traditional old school sailing. Boats that we have today uh, range in size and in age. So there is a handicap system that we, we use to make the competition a little fairer. Uh, the largest of the boats in the fleet are about 35 feet long on deck, have masts that are over 60 feet tall, uh, carrying an incredible amount of sail. So it's, it's really pretty sporty out there. And because these boats use centerboards instead of weighted keels, all of the ballast is provided by crewmen who move in and out uh, on boards that extend out to the windward side of the boat. That's where the fun really, really begins because to prevent them from capsizing, uh, some of these largest boats often carry four of these boards, four boards that are 17 feet long each, holding uh, as many as three crew members. So if you can imagine every time you tack, a dozen people have to come into the boat, physically move the boards from one side to the other, and then get back out on them before the sails fill on the new tack. Um, that's, a, that's a feat of tremendous coordination and timing, uh, and any missteps can lead to disaster. But uh, I would say underway in a, in a fair breeze with all the, the tall masks and the sleek narrow hulls and the sails flying, there is nothing more beautiful and graceful than a sailing log canoe. You know, I, I'm doing a little bit of math here. You're saying that the uh, main mast, I guess the foremast, is twice as long as the boat? Almost. And, and in fact, um, you know, the hull of the boat has some extensions on either end, which make the hull look a little longer. But in fact, the real hull itself is at, at the biggest, the, the largest boat that we have, which is, which is uh, uh, the one that I sail on now, is, is about 35 feet. So, yeah, almost not quite twice as tall as the length of the mat, of the of the hull of the boat. Continue to paint the picture for me. I understand the, the the ballet that's going on with those possibly twelve individuals that are running, not running, scooting back and forth uh, abaft the beam. If I remember my nautical terminology <laughs> properly, you've got some skill positions also. Where are they? So because of the, the three sails, the three primary sails, we have a person designated to trim each one of those sails. And we also carry sometimes a, uh, additional sails for different points of, of uh, sailing, and those will each have a dedicated uh, trimmer. And we usually uh, have a, a person who is uh, assigned as being the tactician, the person that can help the person on the helm who's steering the boat uh, make some tactical decisions, looking around and, and help to uh, guide the boat through not only the start, but all the maneuvers through the race. Let's, let's talk about your boat in particular, the Flying Cloud, right? That's right. So not only are you the skipper of that, of that watercraft, that boat's been in your family. That's right. Yeah. So, so log canoes have been in my family for, for hundreds of years. I grew up, uh, as you said, as a, as a kid, sailing on them. And, and just fortunately, uh, when I came back to uh, Annapolis after being in Houston for a long time, was able to get back into, into racing them. So this, this particular boat that I'm sailing now was built by my, designed and built by my great-grandfather. Because of, uh, you know, these, these boats and their age, they typically need to be restored from time to time. So having the opportunity to sail on them, I, I started racing when I came back to Annapolis on a boat that was built in 1882 by my great-great-grandfather. So it really is something that uh, is, is in the family and, and it's great to be able to keep that tradition alive. 
And Ken, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk on this podcast to you particularly. You're a guy who understands the complexities of engineering design and execution. You've, you, you know how to take risks, not only in multi-engine aircraft, but in spacecraft also. You're restoring this canoe. At On the water, there's a lot of risk involved, but let's talk about that restoration. What was that like? Yeah, so so you would think, based on my background, that I, that I knew a little bit about this, and, and that's probably... Probably fair. Uh, I do have experience in managing complex projects, and and certainly the restoration of the Flying Cloud was was clearly one. Um, we a- approached this uh, restoration using the classical project management model. You know, and for those of you that are interested in it and experience, that's initiating, planning, execution, and closure. Those are the classical steps, and so. To start this project, uh, we really needed to form a, an organization to manage it. And, and in our case, we decided to establish a, a 501c3 trust. Uh, we selected a number of trustees, of which I am one, and we elected officers to, to lead the organization. So in that way, we could, we could raise some needed funds. Once we established that trust, got it working, we started looking at the work that needed to be done. We you know, came up with an estimate for a budget and uh, selected the company who we thought would be best to do the work and established some of the other things that we thought were important, like public relations. And only then, when those pieces were in place, could we really start executing the, the plan. So we inspected the boat. We looked at the uh, scope of work that was uh, expected, developed the cost and schedule accordingly, and then uh, got underway. When we started really looking closely at the hull itself, we discovered that there was a lot more damage due to the age and, and the wooden uh, rot, et cetera, that we, uh, than we expected. So the, the, the decision was really now to do a, a, a thorough restoration as opposed to just a repair. And of course, that uh, resulted in adjustments to budget and schedule. Uh, fortunately, we had some some very very dedicated supporters. Uh, uh, so so we had some people really helping us to do the heavy lifting to get this thing done. So about that time is when the pandemic uh, really hit, and of course, uh, with impacts to workforce and supply chain. Uh, unfortunately, because of all that, the Flying Cloud was not ready for the 2020 racing season as we had originally planned, but because of COVID again and the restrictions, that season was canceled. By the fall of that year, 2020, uh, all of the work was done um, and we started the closure part of the project. Uh, We held a big rechristening and relaunching event, which was wonderful to see her in the water again for the first time in several years. Uh, We wanted to recognize all the people who contributed to the restoration uh, we took delivery of some uh, brand new set of sails and got ready uh, to start the planning and, and uh, preparation for the racing season in 2021. Tell me about that. Once you had it rebuilt, you put it on the water. How does it sail? Yeah, so in June of 2021, uh, once uh, <clears throat> the water was warm enough, we always wait until the conditions uh, are, are right because we do uh, often spend some time in the water with these boats. Uh, we, we conducted two shakedown sessions. And I'm sorry, was that in the water or on the water? In the water and on the water. <laughs> <laughs> they do capsize and we do spend some time in the water. So it's, uh, 
you know, part of what you were talking about in terms of re managing risk, we think about the environment and we, we uh, make sure that we're not going to uh, be heading out into situations that are going to put crew or boat in, in uh, additional risk that's unnecessary. So we, we uh, just like any brand new airplane or brand new spaceship, we decided to, to do some initial testing. So we, we took her out for a couple of shakedown cruises, uh, which were also really good training sessions for the new crew to make sure that uh, all of the running rigging and the standing rigging, you know, all the pieces were, were in place. All the people were up to speed and, and qualified. And of course, for me, that was a pretty steep learning curve. I had not driven a log canoe that large or complex before, so, so I had some adjustments to do and some learning to do as well. I'd been around log canoe racing, as I said, all my life and a regular crew member, uh, but this was different. You know, this boat was something else. Uh, we, what we found was that the Flying Cloud is very, very fast, very responsive. You know, without that heavy keel, the narrow hull she has, log canoes accelerate very quickly. Uh, and the Flying Cloud was, was exceptional in that regard. Biggest surprise, I guess, to me and to many of us was that despite her size, she's very tender, uh, meaning that she healed very quickly with every wind gust. Um, so it really kept you on your toes. You, you couldn't afford to be complacent at all. So this podcast is all about leadership, character, ethics. Tell me what you've learned in terms of leadership. What I, what I reflect back on, on all the various aspects of my career, um, the thing which is probably the closest here is, is being a president of, a, of an aerospace company. It incorporates pretty much everything associated with, with running a big enterprise. It touches on not only what you saw, what I saw in, in business, uh, but also in what I saw in my Navy career. You know, sailing in general, I guess, and racing in particular, it's an outstanding way to prepare for a career in, in the Naval service. No, no question in my mind. It touches on so many of those skills that we find critical, leadership, management, decision-making, problem-solving, uh, not to mention the, the foundational things like seamanship, navigation, engineering, etc. So over the, the past uh, three years of working on this project, uh, personally really did have to draw on all of those varied experiences, both what I gained at, at the academy, in the fleet, uh, being a parent at NASA, and also then being a, you know, a leader in, in the private sector. It certainly uh, helped to have uh, a lot of time as a competitive sailor, uh, as well as what I've learned uh, as a as a coach here at the Naval Academy on the sailing team and as a professor. My learning about leadership and management in my role here uh, teaching courses at the Academy. There were certainly, I would say, some leadership challenges that we faced bringing Flying Cloud through the restoration, getting her ready to race and forming and training a new crew and then successfully competing in the in the races last summer that, that were demanding. Uh, but but those, uh, those kind of demands are, I would say, the things that I really enjoy and, and the, uh, the kind of things that, that make, uh, make life worth living. Just as we've all learned uh, getting through this uh, past few years, uh, perseverance is an invaluable virtue to, to have for, for doing anything. And, and going through the restoration and bringing the, the boat back to racing was certainly, uh, certainly one of those. Um, I don't think you can ever uh, overlook motivation when leading a team like this. Um, they're all volunteers. 
they, they wind up putting in long hours and very physically demanding work and potentially uh, difficult environments. It, it's, uh, you know, you, you race in rain and, and uh, heavy winds and things like that. And, and not infrequently, literally risking life and limb. But perhaps the biggest takeaway uh, from all of that was the constant reminder to me of the critical importance of teamwork. Uh, teamwork is uh, so critical to everything we do in life, uh, but certainly in, in uh, these kinds of activities of, that involve not only competitive uh, athletic kinds of endeavors, but also bring in some, some engineering, math, and science uh, into, into the equation. So, Ken, you're racing this year, right? That's right. And, and we are uh, starting to put the crews together for the, the new season. I would say that, that uh, I am always looking for able people to, uh, to be on the crew. Uh, anybody who has sailing and, and particularly racing experience, I'd, I'd love to give you the opportunity to, to come out and join the crew and, and see what it's like to, to race on one of these boats. But even more so, uh, I want to share this experience of log canoe racing with, with everybody in the area. And if you've ever seen pictures and been curious about them, I invite you to come over to the eastern shore, watch one of these uh, incredibly beautiful boats on the water, and, and see what log canoe racing is, is all about. Professor Ken Rankler, our resident astronaut on the yard at the Naval Academy, as well as our resident skipper on one of the oldest boats, on the Chesapeake Bay. Thanks for joining us on Radio Stockdale. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.